0: Uh, all right. Let me pray. Let me pray, 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 and then we're going to jump in. This morning is going to be a little bit different. Typically, we just look at one verse and we dig in deep. This morning, instead, we're going to do a, a biblical theology of something. So we're going to be all over the place. And so it's a little it's actually very different than what we usually do. So I want to pray and ask the Lord to help us and help me. So, Father, thank you so much for your amazing love for us. Thank you for gathering us here together today. We give you praise, God, for your word. If we didn't have your word, we'd have no idea who you are and what you're like. Uh, we, would, we would look at creation and we'd see certain things, but we would let, be left grasping for details. And so we're so grateful this morning that we have we can learn very specific things about you and your character. We can learn specific things about how you created us uniquely as humans, and then how we can live so that we can live as humans the way you created us to live. And so I ask you to help us this morning, God. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, I ask you to help us to be awake and alert. Um, help us to be able to uh, interact with your word in a, on a spiritual level and not on an intellectual level only. God, we know that this could be a very man kind of thing, and we don't want that. And the only way that can change is if your spirit invades this time. And so, Spirit, come. I pray that you would would anoint every heart in this room, that you would give us each the ability to understand your word in, in new ways, in fresh ways. Help us to not just understand it, but to believe it that it's real and it's true, and help us to love what we then believe and then help us to live it as we walk out of this place today. And so, Spirit, we need your help. And so please help us and help me um, that your people, that this family of yours here in this room, um, would grow in our understanding of what it means to rest in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So every Sunday when we gather, I hope that you expect and anticipate God to speak to you in a specific way. I I really hope you believe that. And I hope you believe that not because I am a great speaker or Tyler or Jordan or others are, but because God loves to speak to his people. God loves to speak to you. And he does it very often through his written word and his preached word. So I really hope you believe that this morning. And I hope you know that even though I do most of the preaching here, I never think of a Sunday as a throwaway Sunday. Like, all right, we'll just get through this one and move on. But there's also Sundays that I feel there's just an extra dose of faith in my heart for the topic at hand that I believe could have a ripple effect that could could impact our lives in major ways. For example, we talked about repentance a few weeks ago. I feel like that's a message, I hope, that we revisit over and over again, because it's one that I think we should keep fresh in our hearts and our minds. Well, this morning is another one of those topics, rest. And here's why I think it's one of those topics, because I believe that there is a rest from God that perhaps many of us have yet to cash in on. <laughs> I think there's a rest from God that many of us have yet to cash in on, and I'm praying that this morning we get to cash in on it. So I'm going to start by asking a question. How many of you guys have ever done like an extensive study of any kind on rest or on Sabbath rest? Have You guys ever dug into that? Okay, so a couple people have all right, the rest of you are in for a journey'm trying to think of analogies in my head like now i can 't think of one all right let 's go so Genesis, what'd you say? No, I was thinking of a journey like like I get to take you like to the to the Bahamas today like that 's what this rest is like, like this is like. And I've been exploring this for, for months and months now. And finally, it fits in perfectly with what we're going to read, which I need to stop talking and read. So Genesis 1, if you have your journals out, here's what God's word says. God's word says this. Genesis 1, 31, as we continue our trek through the New Testament, that chapter divide is in the wrong place. That's not inspired by God. So we're ignoring the big, the big number two. And we're going to go from verse 31 all the way through to three as one unit. And so here's what God's word says. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Yeah. So, I want to draw a couple of observations from this. Little chunk of scripture here. And the first is this. I want you to notice the order of events and how things repeat. Did you catch all the repeating that goes on in there? So you've got very good. We've got finished. You've got rest. You've got all the work that he had done. So there's repeated themes. But then there's these three that kind of surface it, tie it together. And the first is this. In verse 31, we see that God saw and beheld. So he sees his creation if you look into it, he beholds his creation. There's two things. He sees it, he beholds it, and then he says, oh, this is very good. So everything God beholds and sees, he declares good. And then because it is so good, he realizes, I'm done. It's finished. So he goes from this is very good to the next verse where it says he realizes twice as he is, it is finished. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, he says in chapter 2, verse 1. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. So it's so good that he realizes, I'm done. And then, after realizing that it's done, instead of him turning to another task to get some more things done, what does it say that he did? He rested. He rests. So God goes from seeing everything is very good. He becomes completely satisfied in his creation and what he did. So he knows he's finished. And so then God rests. Now, what I think is so unique about this is that God wants you to know that he rests. <laughs> Many question, the, why does it God rest? Why does he rest? Does he get tired? Why does God need to rest? Well, for me, the bigger question is, why does God tell us that he rested? Why include that in the passage? Of all the things to so specifically and clearly tell us about himself, right out of the gate here, why does he want us to know that he is a God of rest? I mean, think about it. We're in the very beginning pages of God, self-disclosing his, from his word all about himself and his attributes. And front and center, he puts Rest. <laughs> When I think of God's attributes, I think of all powerful and all-knowing, and there's explosions, and he's doing things. And what does God put front and center? Rest. Enjoy really the first clear thing he tells us about himself just explicitly. He is a God who rests. And it seems that from the text that he wants us to know that he is still in a state of resting of some sort because all the other days end with this statement: and there was evening, and there was morning. It says in verse 31, the sixth day. So after every day, it says that, right? Day one, and there was morning and there was evening after the first day. After the second day, he does it every day, but he doesn't do it on day seven. Do You see that? It's not there, which makes you think that God wants us to know that his state of rest is continuing. God is in a state of peace and a state of rest. So I take this, and I can kind of come up with my own definition. I think this is the first slide I have for us, Jordan. On a definition of rest. I think rest, if we're, if we're following God, is seeing and beholding that God's very good work is finished. So you want rest to take the words from those three verses, four verses, and there is a good definition. You want rest? Well, then see and behold, believe, treasure that God's very good work is finished. That's where rest came from for God. You saw it all. It was done. It was complete. And so what did God do? God rested. Now let's just have a little fun for a moment because there are gospel implications here. I was going to save them for the end, but they're so obvious in this passage because Jesus, you think about when Jesus was on the cross, he was restless on the cross. And why was Jesus restless on the cross? So that he could purchase your rest. So Jesus rests us on the cross to purchase our rest. And when Jesus finished his very good work, what did he say? It is finished. When Jesus saw and beheld that his very good work was finished, he rested by sitting down on the throne in heaven. So there's gospel implications right out of the gate here of who God is and this idea that God is a God who is good. He does good things and then he beholds his good things and then he says they are finished and done. And that's exactly what happens with Jesus and the gospel. So that's the third one, the third one. Fourth one is this. There's a reality from this passage, I think, that on the seventh day when God rests, he sets into motion Something that will impact the Old Testament, the New Testament, and us. This idea of God resting on the seventh day sets into motion something that has a massive impact on the Old Testament, the New Testament, and on our lives today. And that's what I want us to see. We're going to go through this worksheet of different scriptures, a journey through the Bible, a biblical theology of rest, so that we can see how this one verse (laughs) where God says he rests, spins into motion something that impacts the Old Testament, the New Testament, and us today. So the next time we see this word rest, and I got to do this so we're on the same page here, rest in the Old Testament Hebrew has two forms. There's two words for rest. One is the word Sabbath that we will see in the text, which just means to not work, just don't work. And then the other word has more to do with relaxing, or dwelling, or settling, or just lying down. And so those two words are going to be used differently throughout the Old Testament. But they both really communicate the same thing. One is more the put off, don't work. And the other is more the put on, be settled, rest, relax. So when we get to chapter 2, verse 15, and it says the Lord took the man and put him in the garden, that word put is the word for rest. So right out of the gate, God says, I'm a God of rest. And then the first thing he does with Adam is he rests him in the garden. He lays him down in the garden. He gives him peace in the garden. So our God is not just a God of rest for himself. What we see right here, God is now giving rest. He's not a God who extends rest from who he is. And so that's what we're going to see throughout this, these worksheets this morning, is what is God doing? So these are in mostly chronological order. Because I thought the scripture, the storyline of the Bible unfolds things. It reveals a little bit of something, and then as you get through the Bible, it reveals a little more. You reveal a little more of the Bible, redemptive history, and a little more gets revealed about something. So that's how this unfolds with rest. It it basically goes from this one little nugget that God rests, and it explodes as you walk your way through the Old Testament. So if you want to follow me on the handout, we are not going to read every one of these. I printed these out for you because I'm hoping and praying that this week, And in days to come, you'll have time to look into each one of these. You can read them. You can study them. So you can come to your own convictions on what rest really looks like. I also want you to know that I tried to spend as much time as I could making sure I wasn't pulling these verses out of context. Because I know it's very easy to do. So I I hopefully, I've done that faithful. So I'm going to give them to you in context as I talk about them. But I want you to be able to do the same work. So that's why it's all on here for you. So this is for your, I pray, edification and your growth this week and for weeks to come. So with that... The next time that we see the idea of rest in God's word is in Exodus 16. So that's the second one on your your first full verse printed out in your handout. So this passage, Exodus 16, you guys remember when God's people got out of of, uh, slavery and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And what did they eat for 40 years? Manna. Imagine the same meal three times a day for 40 years. Some people don't like leftovers at all. That would be like every day. Well, it's not really leftovers, but same deal, every day. So that's what they had to do. So here's what God says. And this is the next thing that's revealed about Sabbath. Think about it. They were in slavery. They never got a day off. I don't think Abraham maybe didn't even know about Sabbath rest because God hadn't told him about it. So it's possible that no one really knew about this whole idea of Sabbath until they got out of slavery. And they start wandering in the wilderness. God gives a man, and look what he says. The next thing revealed about it. I'm just going to jump down to verse 23. And he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a solemn, is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath. And all I want you to see in this is to the Lord. So this was the first time they heard this. So we, we're going to pick manna up for six days in a row. On day six, there'll be enough for two days. I pick up double the amount. On day seven, I don't work. It's a rest day. And it is a day to the Lord. I think that's significant. It is for him. It is on to him. It is in submission to him. He uniquely owns this day. It is God's day. And I, thought I think, also think it's significant in verse 29 that he says, see, I put it in red for you, the Lord, God didn't say that. I just said that in red to you. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. So I just want you to get the generosity of God. So just from here, a little bit, as it's unfolding, we see God is now giving His people, the Sabbath, as a gift. And he's saying, and this gift is unto me. So you're doing this for me, for my sake, for my praise. So that's the first thing. The next verse that we come to is the Ten Commandments. There's ten of them. Number four is written here on your sheet. Remember the Sabbath day, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You shall not do any work. So the first thing we see first from this verse is that okay, now we know it's a day of not just only not picking up manna on the seventh day, but it also means you're not doing any work on the seventh day. So he's he's, he's broadening it. Now it's it's broader. Now it's, you don't do any work on the Sabbath day. And then he goes on to say why. So verse eleven for. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So now he's giving them some reasons why they're going to keep the Sabbath day holy. They're going to keep it holy because, or not work on it, because God didn't work on the seventh day. So we're getting some meat behind it now. Here's why you don't work on the seventh day. All right, so we keep moving on. So the next thing we learn about the Sabbath rest is seen in Exodus 23. It's very simple. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall, do, you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest and your son and your servant woman and the alien may be, what's it say? Refreshed. Okay, so now I've got more reasons why I'm not working. I'm not working because God didn't work on the seventh day and now I'm working because it's going to give me Refreshment. So now is a sense in which there's more purpose, that I may be refreshed, that people may be refreshed or experience refreshment from God. So that's a good purpose. God knows that as humans, we can get worn out, tired, just flat out crushed by life. And so he says, look, you're going to need a day to get refreshed. So I'm going to take one day. You don't work at all. I'm giving this to you as a gift. It's on to me. Rest and get refreshed. So God knows the state of the human heart. So he gives his people the gift of Sabbath rest. And then we move on to the next verse, which is packed full of stuff. This is Exodus 31. Exodus 31. So let me read this to us. This is on the heels of God giving them all kinds of instruction. He tells them about the Ark of the Covenant and the golden lampstands and the tabernacle and the bronze altar and the priests and their clothing and the altar of incense. And then he says this, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. So that little phrase above all should jump off the page at us. Literally, God just gave them, I think it's four or five chapters of instructions all these things to do in the temple, all these things to do in the tabernacle, what everything's supposed to look like, the work of the priests. And then he says, above all of that, take a Sabbath rest. Above all those things, I elevate this up higher. This is more significant. Keep the Sabbath. I mean, what does that tell you just about God? I mean, you think about all the priorities that God has for his people rest is on the top shelf. Of all the things that God thinks are important for his people, he says, here's what's most important. They need rest. I don't know you think about God that way. Maybe some of you think of God as a like, taskmaster. He wants me to get stuff done. I don't know how you think about him, but it seems like here, God's first priority for his people is that they would rest. All right, let's move on. Four. I box that in because that's a clue to us. He's going to tell us some reasons why. This is a sign between me and you throughout all generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So there's the first sign. There's going to be another one. So this is a symbol. Another way to say this in the Hebrew is it is a banner over something or a remembrance. This is for you to remember. So you take a Sabbath for remembering that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So he's not saying Sabbath rest sanctifies you. Notice the difference. He's saying you take the day of rest to remember and to show others that God is the one who sanctifies you. So that's the first sign. Look down at verse 17. He says, it is a sign. So he's giving us a second one here. It is a sign or a remembrance forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was Refreshed, So God was refreshed. So there's two signs or two things to remember on the Sabbath or two reasons you do the Sabbath. It's so that you'll remember that God is the one who sanctifies you. He's the one that changes you. He's the one that sets you apart. He's the one whose hand is on you. And the second is so you'll remember on that day that you're resting, that the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And then on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. You got to see what's happening. I'm building. We're building something. You got to keep piecing all these together. These are reasons why God gave us Sabbath rest. And then he says, a couple times, you see it in blue. I guess I should keep reading here. Let me pick up in verse 14. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on Sabbath day shall be put to death. God sees this as pretty serious, doesn't he? I mean, how many of you guys have a, have a boss or a teacher who says, if you do extra work, you're going to die? <laughs> That's not our culture, right? God is saying, if you do extra work, it's going to kill you. If you don't take it off, you'll, you'll die in the end. In fact, it's one of the very few places where we see God actually encouraging some sort of capital punishment for a rule of his being broken. That's how important rest is to God for his people. Now, I want to jump ahead to Deuteronomy 5, next one on your sheet, where we see that Sabbath rest is meant to remind us of one more thing. Let's just go down to verse 15. He says this, Deuteronomy 5, You shall remember... This is his reason for them, giving them Sabbath rest. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, because you need to remember, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Sabbath now is a day set aside for God's people to remember that they were slaves and that God brought them out with his mighty and outstretched hand. So there's three things we're remembering now, or God's people are remembering on the Sabbath. God sanctifies. God created everything and then rested. God brought us out of slavery with his mighty hand and with his outstretched arm. And we got one more at the bottom of this page from Leviticus. This is the next one, kind of chronologically, as we work our way through the Bible. It says, It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. (laughs) What the heck does that mean? (laughs) So the word affliction there in the Hebrew is really the idea of humbling yourself or bowing down. Do not know why they didn't translate it that way, but I guess it's purer to the Greek to say afflict, but it actually means to humble yourself or bow down. So this seems like God knows that is going to take humility and bowing low before God in order for you to obey, for God's people to obey Sabbath rest. It's going to take some measure of humility to come under God and to say, God, I'm going to do what you want rather than what I want on this day. So that's what God has given to his people so far. So let's just stop for a minute and let's build a sentence about Sabbath rest. And then we'll go on to the next page on page two. So Jordan, you got that little slide so I take all those terms that we just gathered, and here's what I come up with. That Sabbath rest is a day, you recognize these words from the verses we just looked at, to the Lord, given by the Lord for rest, refreshment, and as a sign that God rested on the seventh day, God sanctifies you, God brought you out of slavery, and it's going to take humility to observe it. That makes sense? So I can email it to you guys. You want to take your phone, take a picture. We can leave it up for a couple minutes. But that's kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to use pure biblical, here's what I'm reading and what I'm seeing and trying to understand it, how God's people in the Old Testament would have understood it. And so that seems to be so far what they would have gathered from the Old Testament. So now we move on to page two. Everybody still awake? All right, page two. Now we we move a little bit more into Leviticus 23. Now we're going to talk more about what the Sabbath actually is or what we do, what God's people did or didn't do on the Sabbath. Now Leviticus 23 on the top of page 2 is a variety of feasts that God has his people participate in or celebrations, which, man, we could have spent a whole couple Sundays talking about that, man. God is a God of feasting and taking weeks off to party. I mean, he tells the people to do that over and over again. Take a week off, party. I mean, we got the Feast of Booths. We got the... Passover feast. He's got the feast of unleavened bread in here. He's got the day of atonement in here. I mean, it's just—it's really just week of party after week of party after week of party that God wants his people to participate in. And in this, often he says in this big section in Leviticus, he often talks about how he wants them to take one day of that, the seventh day of that, or the seventh week of something, or the seventh month of something, and he says over and over again, I just put it in red in your notes, to not do any ordinary work. So, As they learn this, they go, okay, whatever my ordinary work is, whatever I do every day, on Sabbath, I don't do that ordinary work. So if you work with your brain during the week, you work with your body or you use your body on the Sabbath, I guess. And if you work with your body all week, you would on the Sabbath give that up and use your brain. Flip them around or something like that. So the point was you don't do work, you're ordinary. Whatever you normally would do on the Sabbath, work-wise, you don't participate in it. You don't do it. And then we come to Jeremiah, chronologically next. This is a really long one. So let me see if I can explain. All right. So Jeremiah and God are having a conversation. Okay, And this this verse is on page 2 and on the top of page 3. And here's how this unfolds. God says to Jeremiah, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. You guys see that? First line. Verse six, he's like a shrub in the desert. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness. So the person, the man, the woman who trusts in man is cursed because he's going to be like a shrub in the desert and he's going to be parched. Then verse seven, blessed is a man who trusts the Lord. Verse eight, he's like a tree planted by the water. He does not fear. He is not anxious. You see those in there. So he's contrasting the two. And then he says this in verse nine: You're in big trouble. Because you're going to choose to trust man. It's basically what he says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, God's saying, look, I know your human heart, and you're going to choose verse 5, and you're going to be cursed rather than choosing being blessed by trusting in the Lord. You're going to trust man instead of trusting God. That's what he's saying. So what does Jeremiah cry out in verse 14? I skipped a couple verses for the sake of space. What does he say in verse 14? Heal me. Don't let that happen to me. I don't want to be like the person who is cursed by trusting in man. Save me, he says. And then it gets really weird. Because God's response to Jeremiah is not what I'd expect God to say to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah gets this response from God on the top of the next page, verse 19. He says this in response to Jeremiah's cry. Please don't let me be the person who trusts in man and ends up cursed. I don't want to be that person. So God responds and says this. Let's just jump to verse 20. And say, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by the gates. Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives. So look, for the sake of you not being cursed, for the sake of your life, do this. Actually, he says, and do not. He he goes to do not. Do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day. That just seems coming out of nowhere to me. Protect me, God. Save me from being the person who's cursed by trusting in man. And he says, all right, don't carry burdens on the Sabbath, and that'll protect you from trusting man. That's God's solution. Don't carry a burden. So he says this. You guys can see it. He says it five times in here. Do not carry a burden. Do not bring a burden. Do not carry a burden. So it seems that here, God has a purpose for the seventh day to be a day where whatever burden you're carrying, physical Mental, emotional, spiritual. On this day, set it aside. Now, I don't think God's saying that's easy to do, but I think God is saying that is what we should want to do. Put your burdens aside on the Sabbath. You carry burdens all week long. All week long. Busy schedules, running around, lots of things to get done, six days of busyness. So on day seven, move them away, put them away, don't carry them, set them aside. So I put that verse together with the last one we just looked at. And I conclude that day seven is not for ordinary work and it's not for carrying burdens, whatever your burdens are. So there's the Old Testament. Those are kind of the the highlight. There's more. Those are the highlights of the Old Testament. And so from this, I conclude that Sabbath rest is, drum roll please, flowing from a heart of humility, because we talked about right pride. We talked about that, pride to stop us. Did I skip that verse? I didn't. I didn't? Did I? Come on. Oh, yeah, I did. Okay. (sighs) Flowing from a heart of humility... (laughs) Sabbath rest is a day for leaving burdens and ordinary work behind and enjoying refreshment and remembering. Okay, so that's the, what do you do then on the Sabbath? Here it is. Out of a heart of humility, it's a day for leaving your burdens behind and your ordinary work behind and enjoying refreshment and remembering. And all the rememberings we talked about before. I didn't list them in this one, but you got them from the last round, okay? So that's, that's kind of what God is doing. So we're building again. We're building a theology of it. Now we move on to the New Testament. On page, we're on page three now? Yep, thank you. Page three. All right, so on page three, if we are Christians, that means we follow Christ, which means we want to know what? Christ thinks, right? Pretty important that we know what his opinion is of all of this. So we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at what the New Testament writers have to say about it. So here we go. So first off, what does Jesus have to say about it? Well, one of the most significant places where Jesus talks about Sabbath rest is in Matthew 11, which is why it's on your handout. So let's look at Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28. Verse 28 of chapter 11 is meant to be read with the first half of chapter 12. So they're not divided. So here's what Jesus says. Look at verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Doesn't just saying that feel good? Sometimes just saying that. Jesus gives rest for my soul. Just for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, and Matthew is, is putting these two things strategically back to back. At, the, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So Jesus is talking about rest, and now all of a sudden we find him doing stuff on the Sabbath. So let's find out what he does and what he says about it. Grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Because right? the priests have to work on the Sabbath, kind of like pastors. You work on the Sabbath. So this, or Saturday, sorry, wrong day, but they're working, right? He, he's working, and so he's profaning. He's doing what he's not supposed to do, but he's allowed to because that's lawful. That's what Jesus is saying to him. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And who is Jesus talking about? Himself. himself. Yeah, something greater is here. Love that. Something greater is here. Thank you. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is... Lord of the Sabbath. So we get now an insight. What is Jesus' perspective of the Sabbath? Well, his perspective is pretty clear. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He rules over the Sabbath. He has authority over the Sabbath. And as Lord of the Sabbath, he says what goes. And so in verse 11, he tells us, sorry, verse 12, he's going to tell them what what goes. After he heals this man with a withered hand, he says, how much more value is this man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Okay, so Jesus doesn't say anything about abolishing the Sabbath. He doesn't say, I'm taking it away. He doesn't say he's changing it. He just says, look, I'm Lord of it. I rule over it, and what I say goes, and I say you should do good on the Sabbath. Do good on the Sabbath. That's not work. That's not the kind of work God was talking about when he said not to do it. So he wants us to do work, good work on the Sabbath, or good works on the Sabbath. And then the other place that highlights this is in Mark 2 where it says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus made the Sabbath for man's refreshment and man's remembering, and Jesus lords over it, and he makes sure that man knows this is not meant to crush you, but it's meant for you to rule over. And background here, most of you probably know this, but the Pharisees had their long list of things that no one was allowed to do on the Sabbath that they put in a category of work that God never intended them to have in that category. And so they were carrying burdens put on them from the Pharisees that Jesus came to say, Stop it. He calls them hypocrites later in Luke 18 or 13 because of the burdens they were putting on God's people. And so God came to release us of those burdens so that we can enjoy, or at least in these scenes, as people could enjoy Sabbath and Sabbath rest. So now we get to the top of page four. And we get to the only two places in the New Testament where I find Sabbath mentioned. So here we go. Colossians. You guys remember this? We studied this, right? So we remember Colossians. So here's what it says. Therefore, and the therefore refers back to the fact that We are made alive with Christ. All of our trespasses have been forgiven. The record of debt has been canceled. Because of all that, he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Don't let anybody judge you in questions of food, drink, or with regard to festivals or new moon or, there's our word, Sabbath. So don't let anybody judge you Now, I don't know whether he's talking there about judging which day you participate in the Sabbath, whether he's saying how you do the Sabbath, but the bottom line is you shouldn't be looking at what other people are doing and then deciding whether or not it's right. That's not the category God has for his people. And then he says, interesting enough, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Sabbath here is a shadow of something to come, but Christ already came belongs to Christ. That's what he says. So Sabbath belongs to Jesus, and it's meant to shadow something that's still to come, which I'm guessing is heaven rest. So I think what Paul is saying here is Sabbath rest. Don't judge each other for how it goes down, but realize when you do it, you're foreshadowing. You're showing a picture of something. You're experiencing something that's going to come in the future. A better rest that's going to come in the future. So I think that's what Paul is going at there in those verses. And then we turn the corner to the last verse, which is Hebrews 16. I'm sorry, Hebrews 3, verse 16. This one is long and it's confusing. (laughs) It's confusing because I wouldn't even go to this verse except. If you can look down where I bolded in verse 4, where it says, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. So he's going back to creation. And then look at verse 8 at the bottom. It talks about there remains a Sabbath rest. And then that next line underneath that says that God also rested from the, we also rest from our work as God did from his. So there's some kind of Sabbath connection going back to Genesis in this that we need to figure out hopefully because this really is a difficult one because he's weaving together the rest that Moses tried to give them with our rest. He's weaving together the Moses that Joshua, the rest Joshua tried to give them and our rest and the rest of Christ is in here because just prior to this is talking about Jesus being our high priest who gives us rest. So it it is just, it is such a interwoven, beautiful, yet very complex passage. So I'm going to read it and I'm going to tell you bare minimum to help us keep building this theology of rest. So let me read it. Here's what it says. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should, ha- should seem to have failed to reach it. For, underline that, good news, because we're going to come back to that, good news, that's the word for gospel, euangelion, the, the gospel came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who, are, for we who have believed entered that rest. As it is said, as I swore in my oath, they shall not enter my rest, although these, his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoke... I love this. He's being sarcastic, like... We know it's in Genesis 1, but I'm just going to use this to get your attention. (laughs) Somewhere out there is written that the seventh day, in this way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he apportions a certain day today, saying, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So what do we do with this? (laughs) So I'm going to see how concise I can be here. (laughs) See if I can sum this up in a way that's helpful for you guys and for me. It's obvious that there is some sort of rest that God has for his people. Okay? I think that's the first thing that's obvious. The second is that it is God's rest. You see that five times in here. It's God's rest, God's rest, God's rest. So God is offering his people some kind of rest. Unbelief, there's warning here, as there is throughout Hebrews. Unbelief and disobedience stop the Old Testament believers from entering the rest. Even. Stop them from receiving the good news, it says. And a hard heart, it says in 4.7, will stop you and I from entering that rest. So the transition has been made now from Old Testament to us. So there's something about a hard heart that stops us from entering this rest of God. And we're to strive, it says, verse 11, to enter the rest so that we don't end up disobeying. So instead of it, obey so you will enter the rest, it's reversed, <laughs> Instead, it's strive to enter the rest and that'll keep you from disobedience. So what is the rest that we are to find and go after? Well, I like look at verse 2 of chapter 4 because it says this good news came to them. And we know that the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus' good news. So the good news came to him. And because of that, verse 3 tells us, For we who have believed enter that rest. Okay, so Christian this morning, you have rest in your soul and in your life because of Christ. That, I can say for certain with confidence, that verse is saying that. You have a confidence that you have rest in Christ. Then he goes on to say, And this is down in verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I don't know why the author put Sabbath rest there, except that he means Sabbath rest. (laughs) He means Sabbath rest for the people of God. For, he says, whoever has entered God's rest, and I'm thinking that's talking about salvation rest, whoever has entered God's salvation rest has also rested from his Work as God did from his. So that seems to be talking about Sabbath rest there. So the two here are blended. And I I encourage you guys to study this more this week. They're blended as if somehow, if you've understood what what resting Christ is, it's linked to your Sabbath rest. It plays a part in your Sabbath rest. If you get the one, you're going to somehow do the other. They go somehow hand in hand. That's what it seems like the author there is saying. And so with all of that, we come to the end of our New Testament as far as it goes with speaking to us about Sabbath rest. Phew. Unless this verses I missed, which I hope I didn't. So what do we do with this? Any of you guys know people who are Sabbatarians? A Sabbatarian, I have a friend who's a Sabbatarian. He literally, he, he says on Sunday, not Saturday. I mean, it's like, you don't do anything. And it's almost legalistic. That's his deal, not mine. But it's very like, woo. and then I know people who are like, "Oh, it's the Old Testament. Forget it. Move on. Do whatever I want on Sunday." It should look at the like every day of the week. Doesn't matter. And so I'm not trying to find a balance because I hate that word because I don't think God wants us to like this freak a balance. No, we want to know what God says, right? So here's how I am wrestling with this as to what I think God is saying to us about this day. About this one day a week, as I think, as I think God would communicate it, let me get you into my head a little bit and how this unrolls. I don't see anything in the New Testament, from what we just studied, that overturns Sabbath rest, any more than I see anything in the New Testament that overturns the other nine commandments. You get that? So we all agree we should not lie, we shouldn't murder, we shouldn't commit adultery. If I went through all nine of those, you would go, yep, they still apply today. What about number four? Hmm. Something strange there for me. That's always tripped me up. Like, why? And, and Jesus never overturns it. He never says, don't do it. But it is different, is it not, in the New Testament? Because now I'm not obeying the Ten Commandments to earn anything from God. I'm doing the Ten Commandments because I've already got everything I need from God. So It's flipped in the order of how things go down. In fact, even in the Old Testament, it's because God rescues his people from slavery, and then he gives them the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say, here's the Ten Commandments, and then maybe I'll deliver you from slavery. (laughs) Right? So it's the same kind of thing, I think. I think our heart attitude towards this fourth commandment, our heart attitude, heart attitude, not law, our heart attitude towards the fourth day should be the same as our heart attitude for the other nine commandments. Okay? Number two. Since the reason for Sabbath rest is anchored in God resting before the fall of man, which it's very clear that God rested before the fall of man, and that that rest is linked to that, it appears that Jesus' saving work does not reverse the truth of Sabbath rest. Right? Because Jesus comes to reverse things, things that are wrong in the Old Testament. He comes to flip them around and to cleanse us of those. But because this is anchored before the fall, Jesus' saving work doesn't need to reverse it. And nowhere does it say that it does. Nowhere does Jesus say that he does flip it around. Number three, the purposes for the Sabbath rest in the Old Testament, I still love them. (laughs) They're so relevant to me. I mean, think about the list that we put on the board. It is for rest. Do I need that? Yep. Refreshment? Yep. Do I need to be reminded that God created the earth and rested on the seventh day? Yep. Do I need to be reminded that God's the one who sanctifies me? Yep. Do I need to remember that God brought me out of slavery to sin? Yep. Do I need a day where I can leave my ordinary work and my burdens behind? Yep and yep. So there's nothing there. I go, oh, well, that's, it says sacrificing calves to a, you know, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything. There's no. The law there is, is not telling me to do anything. There's nothing in Sabbath in the Old Testament where I go, oh, I don't need to do that anymore. No, they're all relevant to me. So I conclude to some degree that God's heart in wanting us to enjoy rest, like he enjoys rest and he enjoyed rest by working six days and resting one day really hasn't changed. The principle hasn't changed. I'm still human, just like all the people in the Old Testament that were given this day of rest so they could remain human. So it seems right and good, if I understand my Bible correctly, for people to set one in seven days aside to do the following, to leave ordinary work and life behind, do our best to forget about our burdens, embrace that God sanctifies us, celebrate we're no longer slaves, enjoy the glory of imaging God by resting like he does, to do good things, to do things that bring refreshment, And to recognize that you're a human who is still prone to fight against God's gracious gift of taking a day off. Which is (laughs) mind-blowing. Take a day off and relax. No! (laughs) Eat your ice cream. No! (laughs) Now, make sure when I'm saying all this, I, I want to say this because I, I did read this several places, and I think it's helpful to remember this is not law, this is not law, this is not law. And certainly there will be times in our lives, and there may be extended seasons of time, where it's just not possible. God understands. For whatever reason, because of work, because of family life, because of whatever it is, there's going to be seasons where it is, you just got to work. You got to. Taking that one day off is not going to happen, and God understands that. But this is a big principle It's the way God created you to rest, one in seven, to get refreshed. So let me suggest some things to us. And these are just suggestions. I want it to be healthy for us to go home, take out a pad and a pen, and write down all the things that you consider ordinary work. What are all the things that are ordinary work for you? The things that you do over and over again. Running the errands, your busy schedule, whatever it is, write them all down. Then write down all the things that burden you. What are things you carry on your heart week in and week out that weigh you down that are heavy on your soul? And write them down. And then three, write down things that refresh you. The point is refreshment. What are things that refresh you? Write them down. Here are things that refresh me. And then write down good things you like to do. Not your work, but good things. Good things for others. Just good, that's a word that Jesus uses, it's good to do good things. So what are the good things that you believe God would want you to do? And then to strategize and to figure out a way to take one day a week to do this. To say no to ordinary things. To say no to ordinary things. So I really hesitate to share examples. And the examples change from my life now than it was 10 years ago, than it was 20 years. It changes, and I think that's part of why we aren't going to be rules with each other if you, if you embrace what I think this is saying. But there are things that, as a family, we had to do in order to, to, to embrace the reality that we would never get a day off if we didn't say no to certain things. Certain things had to say no to So Our kids know there would be no sports on Sunday, they could play six days. On Sunday, ain't going to happen. We tried not to go shopping on Sundays. Um, there was a list of other things. We just said, we're going to try not to do these things. We're going to put them aside. These are the things that busy us during the week. We're not going to do them on Sunday. Then we made a list of things that burdened us. I, I am burdened by decision-making. So all decisions were made on Saturday. And if the kids came to me with, hey, Dad, can we? I'd say, I have no idea. <laughs> not even going to hear what you're saying because it's, it's Sunday. and I don't want to make any decisions on Sunday. So I'm not doing it. You ask me tomorrow, and then we'll plan for the next Sunday. But I remember vividly, especially when our kids were, I have kids that are very creative and say, always oh, have great ideas, and they always come on Sunday. <laughs> not always. I'm just teasing you. Part of that is just leading. I don't want to lead anything on Sunday. I'll do—I'll plan everything on Saturday, and then on Sunday it goes into motion. And if it goes wrong, I don't want to know about it. Let it happen. Let it unravel. And then things that refresh us. What are the things that refresh you? For some of you, cooking is refreshing, and you don't get a chance to really cook during the week, and so that could be refreshing for you. Or hiking. Some of you it's reading. Mouse and the Motorcycle is a great book for Sunday afternoons. <laughs> M- music. I don't know what it is for you, but what refreshes you? And I recognize, and then, and then add good things. What are the good things? What are the good things you can do? And, and, and mix those in with all of it. And, and maybe one day off looks heavier in one of these categories than the other. And I realize that when you add different kids into this, that what they find refreshing, what you find refreshing, is going to be different. It's going to take juggling and figuring out. But I think this is good. And I think it's especially good when we do it remembering. So it's not mindless. We don't just sit and watch television all day. But part of the day is spent remembering God rested. God rested. So You are imaging God when you rest. You are acting like Him. To sit there and realize God sanctifies me, God sanctifies me, God sanctifies me, God sanctifies me. God rescued me from slavery, God rescued me. I am a rescued human being by the grace of God, and He sanctifies me. And the only way I think we're going to experience rest is when we look at all that God has done and declare that it is very good. So take some time just to look, look around and say, God is so good. He's good. He's good. Very often on Sundays, we'll walk our property just to look at the work that we did in the past week because otherwise we wouldn't stop just to look at it. Not lot of work because we'll get into the dirt and then we'll end up gardening all day. But just look. Look at the flowers. Look at the, look at the plants that are growing. Look at the vegetables. Look at this. God is good. Look at all the goodness that's around us from God. It's the day just to enjoy God's goodness. So, I think the key way we experience rest is when we stop, think about everything about who Jesus is, all of his goodness, what he's done for us, how he's rescued us, and get refreshed in him. And I don't know whether I should say amen or not. Amen? <laughs> I know people land in a lot of different places with all of this, and so I want to be very, I'm very hesitant this morning because I do not in any way want to lay down a law But I do want to see the goodness of God and that he knows we get tired and worn out and whooped because we push ourselves sometimes way too hard and we carry burdens week in and week out and you need refreshment. God's heart is for you to get refreshed. And so I pray that some nugget of this you can understand, you believe, you love, and you can live this week. So... We're going to have conversations, I'm sure, in our groups of three about this. I'm sure that's going to happen all week, and I think we've got to be really careful when we do that, that we're not imposing our childhood or what we were taught as a family, unless it's anchored to what we see here in God's Word. So the discussions need to really be careful that we don't impose our own how-to's as opposed to the principle of we have a good God who loves to give his people rest. That's the goal. Okay? So let me pray. And I'm open to... All the questions you guys have, if you want to meet this week and talk through some of this stuff, I'm game to do that too. So let me let me pray. We're going to sing a song and we're done. Lord Jesus, I ask that anything that I have misunderstood or misspoke, that it would fall to the wayside. God, that it would not linger in anyone's heart or mind. And Lord, I pray the things that are obviously true would resonate in our hearts. God, we, we are amazed that you would let us know that you are a God who rests. Not the kind of thing a boss, usually tells his employees. Not the kind of thing a king, you see, tells his people. That you rest, and we thank you for that. And God, it seems clear from your word that you see that we are humans, and that you created us with the need for rest and refreshment. And then you commanded us <laughs> to take a day to rest. And Lord, we, we pray that you would please help us if there's anything in our hearts that fight against this idea of taking a day off, I pray that you'd show us what that is. And know that I pray that you'd give us deep purpose, deep purpose for taking time off each week to rest and to get refreshed, to remember all that you've done for us, to do good. God, I I pray that for some in this room maybe who are exhausted and wiped out and maybe don't even know why, that maybe this Lord is the answer. (laughs) Maybe too much work has played a part in exhaustion. And God, I ask that this week could be a week where refreshment comes, where fresh joy and peace comes, where relaxation comes. And so that I pray that as we wrestle with these verses this week, I ask that you would help our hearts to be soft, help us not to resist what you're telling us to do. I pray specifically for families little kids as they try to figure out what this could look like if they were to embrace maybe something different on Sundays. I know Lord, that'll be a unique challenge and I pray you'd help them. Help them, Lord, to reflect and think and pray and talk to others and, and make whatever changes you want them to make so they can enjoy you and, and live as humans the way you created them to live. So we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for, thank you for being so kind and not just saying you better work hard every day. Thank you for being gracious and merciful and patient and, and being generous by giving us this gift of rest. So help us, I pray. Help us at a ch- as a church. Protect us from judging and legalism. But may we embrace from this whatever it is you call, call us to embrace for your fame and for your glory. We believe you are the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, it's yours. So we want to do with it what you want us to do with it since you own it. And we pray this in Jesus' name.